Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 237 for Monday, March 20th, 2023. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixelriffs, and joining me as always is a Brickhead's version of Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. I have a very square brain, or so I'm told. <laughs> If you would like to hear more about Brickheads, uh, some of the Lego sets that I've been putting together, as well as just an entire Lego discussion, uh, as it often happens, we have a conversation before every Spawn Chunks episode. It's called The Render Distance, and we do it every week. And if you're a patron, you get access to that. That's at patreon.com slash the Spawn Chunks, and you can just become a member, get access to extra audio content. It also helps us do things like the Chunk Mail Dispenser, that's today on the show, and the monthly Minecraft Hangout, typically the last Saturday of the month. Still working out the time, but that's probably coming up this Saturday. And of course, the quarterly Hangouts, which we do once a quarter, that's going to be happening in early April. That's where we hang out with the community and talk about how the podcast is doing, plans for the future, that kind of thing. So if you have become a patron, thank you very much. If you have not, there's a lot of things to look forward to. And shout out to our community for being very coordinated at understanding what the time zones are right now, because we're recording the podcast an hour ahead of our usual time for me, but on time for Joel, thanks to the desync in uh, people putting their clocks forward around this time of year. So uh, this should probably be the last week where that's a problem and everyone can get back onto the usual schedule after that. But uh, we are we are welcoming in the sun and spring and hopefully more good things to come. Uh, what's been new with you on the Citadel this week? Man, I don't even know sure where to start. Like, it's just, it's, there's just so much. Uh, I have been bopping around through my to-do list and finishing off things like the West Hill Town Square, which is uh, a fun combination of blocks that uh, I put together for a mosaic. And I've been trying to branch out and do different things. And I decided on a combination of furnace, basalt, sorry, polished basalt, and polished andesite and what's really cool about the combination of furnaces and polished andesite is that the very dark harsh edge of the furnace almost has like a black line around it. it's more like dark gray and the lighter andesite block it really makes it look like the andesite block is raised out of the ground a little bit because it creates this kind of like depth illusion Mm -hmm. And so I've been combining those uh, and then I actually use some cobblestone, which I don't use very often, and some chiseled stone bricks. It's it's kind of hard to explain, but it's kind of like a concentric circle pattern. It's actually a, an octagon uh, in the square combined with that and a, and a light in the middle, like a kind of like a, it could, could be like a town clock, but it's really, it's just, it's a um, redstone lamp with a daylight sensor on top and it comes on at night and helps keep the place from being an absolute death fest <laughs> with the yeah. spawning. I've managed it like narrow streets are fine, but the moment you get into a, like a big section where you've got uh, a large area, it's hard to get the light to reach all the way across. Like if it's more than 30 blocks across, then good luck, you know, especially if like, your lights are not on the ground, right? Because the moment that you've got a light hanging two or three blocks above the ground, the light on the ground is only 11, which means it's only going to go 10 blocks horizontally before it runs out. So we've got a couple spots in West Hill that are still mob friendly, but uh, it's very, very few. And a couple of times I've just given up because I was also working on the, um, the parade square, which is much closer to um, the North part of the town. And, I, I wanted to use like a similar pattern for this, but I wanted to make it different because it's a much larger area and it's not a square, it's like a rectangle. So I have some more diamond patterns, but I've used the same blocks just because I really like the way that they worked. And it helped me kind of create the edge 
that I needed to kind of like separate it from the, the roads and make it feel like a very different space. And so that's, that took a, a little while to get those right, because it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of climbing up somewhere's high, looking down, seeing what you like, seeing what you don't like. And I found the most efficient way to do these is either divide it in half or divide it in quarters and try different things. So like try something on one half and then try something else on the other half. And then it's just, it's like an eye test, you know, like they say like, is one clearer or is two clear? And you say two. Mm-hmm. And then and they say is two, is three clear or is four clear? And you say four. And it's the same thing with this. Like you do a half the way that you think you might like it and another half in a way that you either are not sure about or you're just going to try it. And you go up and you just decide which one you like better. And then you go down and you rip out the one that you don't like and you try something new. And then you just try to figure out which, which one is always winning out, like what is working and what's not. And so that's kind of what I was doing for the bulk of my streams this week. Um, and then I moved up to the moat, which is next to the parade square. And that had been dug out in design, but it didn't, it hadn't been all filled with water. I didn't have like plants and, you know, vines and all that kind of stuff. Put some lily pads in, I put some drip leaf, a lot of stuff we didn't have when I first designed this part of the area. Cause the keep was one of the first things that I built. And so going back in with like drip leaf, with waterlogged bushes, you know, with, uh, I think we had seagrass, but like, there's just, there was a, a number of things that I just had not done. Cause I was like, well, I don't want to spend all the time putting in all this detail in the water. If I have to move the moat by a block, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I had to put in the supports and try to make it look like the, the retaining wall around the moat was held up. And there's no real source for the moat. I've kind of made it up, but I, I've got like an underground spring, underneath the main courtyard for the the keep and so there's like a a grate that the water just kind of comes out of and that's the start of the moat so you have a little bit of suspension disbelief there but it looks fine you know you just you kind of realize what it is and you don't really question too much about where the water's coming from and then there was these weird patches on either side of the moat that were very bare and i didn't want to put anything tall there because the whole idea is that if you build anything too tall next to something like the main gate then if somebody was to attack the town, then all they'd have to do is climb up on the tall thing next to your, next to your wall and your wall is pointless, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Cause they'd, they'd have an advantage. So I kept it really low on one side, kind of a bushes and shrubbery and stuff like that. And man, I'm telling you, um, mangrove roots, mangrove leaves, and, um, the combination thereof, uh, and, uh, what's it called? Muddy mangrove roots really make for a thick looking, bush like a thicket something Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't just cross like it would be a real pain in the butt you're going to go around and that's what i wanted i didn't want to build a wall but i wanted to kind of make it look impassable so that people don't walk down that way thinking that it leads somewhere and so that's been really helpful um and then on the other side uh on the east side i had far too much space i was like i can't do a bush because it would be like the bush the size of a city bus (laughs) so (laughs) it's like okay i need to do something else there and i realized that i've made this barracks at the top of the of the the hill near the parade square, but there was nowhere for anybody to put horses. So I made a small stable and I didn't want to block the view entirely of the gate when you come around the corner. So I made the stable like open air. So it doesn't have a back wall. It has one wall on the end, but then if you're standing at the stable on the road, you can see through it and you can still see the keep and the moat and everything kind of like through it as you walk around. Yeah. And then I added like another open air kind of, I'm not sure what you want to call it. It's not a barn. But it's like an, an awning that kind of would keep the rain off of like the hay and the supplies and all the stuff that they would feed the horses and all that kind of stuff. So it was a bunch of little projects 
they all kind of came together in the end. There was a lot of road texturing, which is not the most, you know, glamorous thing to, to talk about. So like, you know, I textured roads. It took like a whole stream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, that's what happens when you've got a town that's full of roads that need textures. Um, but it's it's getting to the point now where the last few things on the list are like going around the entire curtain wall and and putting in details finishing up the keep which needs a lot of work that's going to be like a multi-week project i think because of all the different things i want to do to that and just the sheer scale of it sure Um, yeah and then finally the surrounding countryside and i have added a couple things to the to-do list that involve like when 1.20 comes out like run a run through the town and do like a couple of hanging signs where you want yeah i was gonna say just just add hanging signs to stuff yeah and i don't i don't think i'm gonna be using any cherry wood but like never say never like if i end up with like a garden or a a terrace or something on the keep that really wants to be fancy i could probably put it put in some cherry leaves it's, it's hard to say i can't see myself using cherry wood because all the buildings have been constructed so there, there's nothing really left in that realm again like yeah. maybe maybe i end up doing some cherry wood stuff in a bedroom in the keep you know like the fancier place i don't know we'll we'll figure it out as as uh, the time comes but what's left after that is just like surrounding countryside and outside of the roads and the bridges i'm not planning on finishing up the like all kinds of farms and doing that that kind of thing because that's the kind of thing that i can come back to the medieval zone when i'm in the mood to do something like that i can say oh i need a farm there i'll go back and i'll spend a couple weeks i'll build a farm and then i'll I'll mess off and do something else because i really want to try and move on to something where i'm not going to be in another zone for like the next two years you know like i want to try and (laughs) i want to try and keep the projects a little bit lighter for a while but it's fun to see it all come together it's really um as i walk around the town you know, looking for different things or checking to make sure that I've got all the texture in this area. It's really cool to turn around every single corner and have everything be done for as far as I can see, you know, like that, that to me is a really satisfying feeling. That's got to be a good feeling. I mean, just looking at the screenshot you've given us of the parade square, everything just looks so complete. Like the, 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 thank you. Having the pattern on the floor and everything and the houses kind of surrounding those areas, like everything just feels like it's, a complete experience now which is is so cool to see um tangentially related to that because you've used a bit of like the chiseled stone brick in that i came across a, a minecraft reddit thread today that was encouraging people to reinterpret the chiseled stone brick texture because you see a lot of people complaining about the fact that it's a 16 by 16 texture as all blocks in default vanilla textures are but the central square is three pixels by three pixels, or at least that's the way people see it, because that's the darker section of where it's embossed, right? And I found this Reddit thread that was on the top of the Minecraft subreddit, which was basically saying, everybody is misunderstanding this. It's four by four. It's just that there is a lighting effect going on around the four by four area Mm -hmm. of it which is providing a highlight there to contrast with the shadow of the three by three section and so actually if you interpret that as an entire thing it is perfectly centered but everyone's been talking about it like it's off center for years and this person was just like ranting about the the perception of it and how like people don't quite recognize what that texture is doing and i feel like that was almost a weight off my mind because i've been bugged by people saying like hey this isn't centered this isn't centered this is one pixel off one way or the other for ages and i'm like it doesn't read that way to me but i can't explain why and they just really succinctly explained with this graphic like this is where the highlight is that makes that a centered thing so do you find that do you find that any any textures when you're building areas like that you think oh that doesn't quite fit but it's the only kind of compromise i have or do you feel like you would change anything about the uh the textures that you have there or are you happy with everything now that you've got it all in place 
Well, the comment on the chiseled stone brick, I've never thought it was off center because I think my artist brain just kind of sees the shadow in the highlight and just goes, yeah, it's dead center. Like I've always yeah. thought it looked a little bit too much like a target block is kind of like where I kind of don't use it as often. I find it more fun to use the chiseled stone brick in the ground than I do on a wall because in a wall, it starts to feel like a like a concentric circle pattern, whereas on the ground, you just don't notice it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as stuff, the thing that I find really challenging about the parade square, because I was on this for hours trying to sort it out. And it's when you're trying to, you, like, believe it or not, you run out of grays, like you run out of different grays textures to to use. And people start firing suggestions in chat, like uh, use uh, dead coral or try... Uh, acacia logs with the bark on them or try and then you just you kind of go down the list of other gray blocks but a lot of the other gray blocks have color in them like acacia is very warm it's got a a reddish hue to it Uh, same with the if you put dead coral next to uh, cobblestone they are different colors different hues. yeah you know corals got more of a a a warm kind of almost a pinkish to it uh gravel by default has more of a purple tint to it i've actually removed that uh i've removed the purple tint out of the, my gravel in my texture pack and though to go in line with your um your comment about centered blocks i've actually retextured the kelp block and it's not a 16 by 16 it's a 32 by 32 but it's still textured like a 16 by 16 but the 32 by 32 allows me to put the strip down the actual middle <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> of the kelp block because that bugged me i that looks off center to me by default in vanilla minecraft i was like nope can't handle it uh what are the other textures that i wanted to change um i feel like i get you know what i really get sick of the um the candy bar uh chocolate uh trapdoor the dark oak tra- the dark trapdoor. oak trapdoor yeah uh-huh. when you want to when you want to use it on a dark oak structure in the same way that you can use the spruce trapdoor on a spruce structure and the spruce trapdoor just doesn't look like a strap a trapdoor anymore it just mm-hmm. looks like it's part of the wood but the trapdoor for dark oak just looks like a hershey chocolate bar <laughs> and i can't unsee it <laughs> yeah and when sure. you use a lot of them in the row in a row it starts to either make something look very fancy which you may not want or it starts to get um, we're just repetitive with the squares and stuff like that. But I don't know. I'm trying to think about what other things. Um, the thing that's missing for me and the hardest thing about all the road texture that I've been doing, and I've said this a number of times on the podcast, is that um, crack stone slabs. We, we can't do, when you're doing a road that gradually goes up half blocks at a time, every section where you're on a slab section is very difficult to texture because you've got andesite, smooth stone, and uh, cobblestone. And that's basically it for a gray pattern. Uh, But then when you get to a full block section, you can do tough, you can do crack stone. um, I mean, I guess in some places you've got mossy versions of everything too, but but I find it very challenging because I, I do find that cobblestone stands out very bright in my roads. So I don't use it as much as I use andesite. And so I find that the cracked stone is just so useful, but man, it's a pain in the butt when you're on a slab section. You really want to put a cracked stone there because <laughs> yeah. everything else is too bright. And you're just like, but the cracked stone just adds enough texture, but I can't do it. So that that I found very challenging. But I think trying to think about the, the mosaic patterns, I think really it's it's having that challenge of losing the edge. Because I have in the parade square, the, the main part of the parade square is andesite and natural stone just like a checkerboard pattern Mm -hmm. and 
To get that up against the edge, I was trying to go back and forth with a border that wasn't stone brick. So the border was like either stone or andesite and nothing else looked good. No other colors looked good. But because of that, you don't see the edge of it because either the stone bleeds into the stone border or the andesite bleeds into the andesite border. And so ultimately I ended up doing a combination of uh, polished andesite and, and um, furnaces all the way around, which was harsher than I was planning. And it ended up working out okay, but it, it, it was a uh, kind of like it was the lesser evil of other options because sure, no other options yeah. were really looking all that good. So um, I found it challenging. And you get wrapped up with like looking at it from above, but then you're also like, well, really most of the time you're going to be experiencing this, you're going to be walking over it. So as long as it looks okay when you walk over it, then it should be fine. Yeah. But yeah. I, it is challenging when you're doing mosaics and stuff, especially if you're sticking to one color. If you're doing a mosaic in a, in a situation where the sky's the limit, you know, I'm thinking about the kind of stuff that Cub Fan has done on Hermitcraft with like all the terracotta blocks. And like, if you've got, you know, color galore, there's all kinds of things that you can do in Minecraft with not too much of a hangout. But when you're trying to stick to one kind of mood palette for like a medieval build or whatever, it does get really, really challenging. Yeah, my um, I, I was feeling the the slab uh, pinch a little bit whenever I've been doing any road work around my bases on Empires Seasons 1 or 2 uh, because I use a lot of coarse dirt and rooted dirt in both of them, actually. Like the palette for Pixandria, my desert city, was more of a warm like red brick granite jungle wood and then coarse and rooted dirt and at the time rooted dirt was new so i was really excited to work with some of that but it works really well for the ancient capital on empires 2 now that that's meant to be like an area that's just become rewilded over time was a city and has kind of overgrown so there's still dirt tracks around there we've got packed mud now but there isn't packed mud slabs and so when i want to step up at all i'm using mud bricks i'm using stone and stone brick slabs and that's kind of it that's the the limit of what i can use because any of the grass and rooted or coarse dirt that i want to use in those pathways and any of the packed mud blocks all have to be solid blocks so there's no slabs available for them so yeah i i, I feel that there's uh obviously i don't i'm not necessarily going to subscribe to the belief that there should be slabs and stairs of every material because i feel like sometimes some of the fun and some of the the puzzle of this game is working out what you can do to compromise there and working in some other blocks that might benefit your color palette in general but yeah there's occasions like that where i do really miss having a packed mud slab every now and again I think the frustration comes when the family of blocks has slabs and stairs, but then one doesn't. And I think yeah. the packed mud, I've I, I've had the same issue where it's like, I really want a packed mud slab, but I don't have one. Same with stair, you know, in that, in that way, because it would look so good on roofs, you know, but yeah. I don't want to just go up in single blocks. And it wouldn't matter if packed mud and mud bricks didn't have any stairs and slabs between the two of them. He's like, all right, whatever. They're just, they're whole blocks. We just, we have to deal with it. But because they've given you stairs and slabs and I think walls in mud bricks, <laughs> then you're like, but why, why didn't you do it to the packed mud? They go so well together, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's the same, same with cracked, you know, like you've got mossy slabs and mossy stairs and you've got mossy cobble stairs and mossy cobble slabs, but then you've got cracked, bricks and that's it there's no cracked stairs there's no cracked yeah. slabs just like die you're so close if, we, if know, we're it's, talking it's, about the blocks in terms of families then it's the one cousin that doesn't want to be part of the <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the thanksgiving celebrations or whatever yeah. um 
Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of mud bricks and and mud in general, I am almost done with my cliff now. Nice. Um, I'm planning to start the castle proper on Tuesday. I still have some grass to kind of fill in the center of this like plateau that I've been building, but I'm kind of winging it. I'm going in without a plan for the castle, but with the foundation, so to speak, of having studied a few castles, knowing the layout of my chief inspiration, which is Stormvale from Elden Ring, as I've said a few times on the show, and... I'm just going to try and get a layout done, see if I like the shape of it, try and, like, on the fly figure out where a lot of the stuff needs to be, and then build on that from there. And that's going to involve probably getting a world download still and, you know, building up the walls in creative mode and trying to figure out where the details need to go and what adjustments I need to make before I get too far along with the process and I'm kicking myself that I've missed out at some kind of key element. But I think I really need to get momentum for this project going and... I think it's uh, it's going to be a fun thing to to do live on stream with people throwing in suggestions here and there and going to you know listen to a few of those because people often have really good ideas to share. There are a lot more experienced castle builders out there in the community than I am. I've only done a couple of them and even those are either smaller projects they're kind of like just the castle keep and not really like you know the the broader walls and everything kind of contained within them or the biggest one I ever did was on the survival guide and that felt like a series of sort of vaguely connected buildings rather than a thriving castle environment that felt very interconnected. They sort of felt like you had to go outside to get to any of the other buildings rather than right. there being like connections. And like the stuff you've got in West Hill where you'll go through a house to get to another thing and there are like a lot of connections between some of those things just in terms of where the player can navigate the space. So that's that's my plan for this week. So I don't really have many screenshots to share this time around, but hopefully uh, pretty soon I should have a castle layout on the go and there'll be more progress made on that school. Getting closer to finishing the cliff, it's, you've got to have that same satisfaction that I've been getting with having the path be overgrown and textured and having the foliage like come right up to where the path is. And it makes it feel like it's been there for a lot longer than just like a mm. week <laughs> yeah. when you've built it. And I, I really like that feeling of getting something to look like uh, it's been around for a while. And the same way that, you know, I, I've never played the Zelda games, but like walking around in like Zelda or World of Warcraft or something like that, those areas always feel so finished and so ancient. I mean, I mean, Elden Ring would be the same, I'm sure, uh, in terms of like how long the path has been there and that kind of thing and I, and i that always has like a, a cool feeling um i'll pass on a bit of advice for your castle you probably already know this but like build those walls like three blocks thick you know mm -hmm. and just give yeah. yourself like the depth and the chance and I, I i was smart enough to build from the inside out on my keep on the first pass so the inside is big enough i think but the outside i might have to bump the walls out a little bit and as i go taller i'm i also want to make a little bit of a push towards like a little bit more of the fantasy where like I know it's meant to be like a pretty sturdy looking structure, but I kind of want the towers to like hang out a little bit. So they're going to be supported, but I want them to look like they kind of like are hanging off the edge of the keep a little bit too. Mm -hmm. So are you going for more like a very traditional, very um, brutalist kind of looking castle with like straight walls and square tops? Or are you going for more like rounded towers and everything's going to be a different height, like that kind it's, of thing. It's going to be a mix of styles, if anything, because mm. the, the overall idea I have for this place is, because we're talking about the world's history and the fact that this is supposed to be the same world, although thousands of years in the future, uh, that it was in Empire Season 1, I kind of want this to feel like 
migrants from all over the place and architects and scientists oh, and cool. whatever else have all converged on this area at some point in the past. And so the castle can be a mix of styles because everybody from all these different civilizations has at nice. some point contributed to it. And so I'm going to maybe start working in some of the stylistic touches that my server mates made back in season one. So like, I want to try and design a couple of the castle roofs like some stuff from Fwip's Grimlands area in season one. And then bits and pieces are going to be more like the ocean empire and, and other like stuff like that so i'm i'm working with a variety of styles and taking inspiration from other minecraft builds and then throwing in a, a healthy dose of elden ring for good measure but stormvale in elden ring is very imposing and very ornate there's just a lot of like almost like filigree gold work on there that's been faded over time um, we actually got to Stormvale, but we didn't go in uh, on the playthrough of Elden Ring I've been doing on Twitch with Zloy XP. And just looking at the entrance, looking like the, the gatehouse that you arrive at on your way up to Stormvale, it's the only way you can get to the castle, is just so imposing. <laughs> like, it's it's really telling you, like, turn back. You don't want to try and storm the castle. Like, it will end badly for you. And yeah, it's just a, a very foreboding exterior and lots of shadows and lots of areas where there are clearly towers that people can assail you with arrows and ballistas and siege weaponry and whatever else oh, but yeah. obviously it's very decayed by the time you arrive at it and so there's going to be some areas that have fallen apart a little bit i really wish you could get the effect of the banners blowing in the wind in quite the same way in minecraft but oh, I might be able yeah. to, to simulate that and and rely on the the viewer's imagination a little bit that might push me to actually learn how to write a data pack. I would really like to have like a horizontal banner data pack. Just mm -hmm. doesn't have to be anything fancy. They don't have to move around. I just want to be able to place them sideways. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. just to be able to have them, you know, it would still look pretty Minecrafty if the thing was like straight out. You know, I just, I, I think it would just be nice to have that, that, feel to it with um with elden ring a lot of their stuff looks kind of gothic so i'm curious Very, to see how you're yeah. gonna how you're gonna like pull that plus the early um early empires smp in there i mean obviously if you're gonna tap anybody for castle advice whip has got some fantastic stuff <laughs> yeah, the, the roofs alone just the 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 spiky roofs with like all the little like ribs and spikes and like it's like fence post wall fence post then like single iron bar and there's like dozens of them it's just, it's so ornate and so interesting the way that he builds up the roofs of the things that he does i i imagine too like with with the facade of things like that the imposing nature of it um something like those map tools that i think you shared in render distance episodes about like getting a, a map ready for either it was either the empire's smp intro or it was your D, &D game or both both and i think I would, yeah i wonder if there's anything like that for structures where you could create like a blueprint for a structure from a top down because i know that you don't have like a map tool in uh empires like i do on citadel and so i'm wondering if having like a a quick kind of like sketch of like this is the floor plan to make sure that all the things are connected in that way would be of all any help you know, oh yeah a, a castle um wonder draft the map software i use to make the world map has a kind of sister software called dungeon draft which is what you use to create the grid maps that players will move around on if you're using 
virtual oh, okay. tabletop software like Roll20. And yeah, I, I could do stuff like that. I'm less familiar with it as a tool because most of my homebrew D&D stuff, I, I do theater of the mind rather than relying on maps for everything. But I, I do kind of like the idea of sketching some of that stuff out if I have the time. If, if I'm getting stuck for like the layout of things and wanting to keep everything straight in my head, it will certainly help. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll give that a try maybe. Um, if I want to distract myself from how complicated it's going to be to build this castle to begin with, uh, I do have another distraction. Minecraft Bingo has now updated to 119.4, which is of interest to me because it eliminates a major issue we had with the 119.3 Bingo, which was that drops from mined blocks were misplaced when you're at extreme coordinates, which the bingo map does. It teleports you potentially millions, if not billions, of blocks out into uh, the world and you end up encountering that bug pretty frequently. I believe it's what exposed the bug in the first place was people playing bingo and, you know, you're at negative 30 million something and you go, hang on a second, uh, I'm mining cobblestone and it's dropping like a couple of blocks behind me or I'm digging down in a hole and I'm not receiving any of the blocks that I'm digging out of the hole to begin with. So um, that's now been fixed as of 119.4 and when bingo has updated, that means it's a lot more effective to get like faster times and to challenge yourself in that game mode because you're not having to worry about whether or not all of the cobblestone you just mined from the ground is ending up on the surface where you're not going to go and collect it. Um, and, and a lot of the time when we've been trying out like the new bingo strategies, a lot of it involves like fl uh, swimming into caves. Like when you're gathering resources at the early stages, you have... Um, you know, iron ore and redstone and stuff that you can get from aquifers without having to risk going into caves where there's a lot more danger. Diamonds are easier to find if they're underwater because of the uh, air exposure rule that means that you don't often see diamond ore just in a cave wall. And so those strategies start to come into play. But if you mine the iron and suddenly it's floating up to the surface because you couldn't collect it the right way, it becomes a frustration. So this week I might dip back into Minecraft Bingo on one of my streams and see... Uh, how all of that goes. Very cool. I've, I got an invite to a, a Minecraft Bingo server. I think the other day. So oh, cool. I'll have to. I have to, Yeah, I did. I was in the middle of my stream, so I didn't. I read the DM very quickly, and I'll have to go back and check it again. But it sounded cool. I I've not had a lot of interest in Bingo just because I've been pushing so hard on the um, on the Westel thing. But when I'm done, like when I've got Westel to a point where like I either need a real break or uh, I'm ready to move on to something else, that might be a nice bridge between this and just some other minecraft project like start to play some mini games or other other modes like skyblock or something like that yeah it's a fun way to blow off steam it's a good test of your minecraft knowledge and a reminder that there are a lot more blocks and items out there than you interact with on a regular basis when you're working on a a long-term project like you know you will you will never have needed rabbits more than <laughs> when you're playing bingo and there's like rabbit hide or cooked rabbit on the bingo cards so it's uh, it's worth a try all right, let's move on into the news. Speaking of 119.4, uh, we got that release on Tuesday, March 14th. Uh, so <laughs> 99s have wasted no time in updating Bingo. Uh, this release, as it says in the article, comes with improvements to horse breeding and jukeboxes, new visuals for potions, new accessibility features, and many new technical capabilities like the damage and ride commands and display and interaction entities. You'll be familiar with all of this stuff if we've covered it in the snapshots leading up to 119.4's release so we're going to summarize the features here but we won't have a huge discussion about them changes in 119.4 include interacting with armor or elytra items in hand will now swap them with equipped gear 
The camera tilt when a player is hurt is now based on the direction of incoming damage. Potions colours have been adjusted to make different types of potions more distinguishable, and potions no longer have an enchantment glint due to it obscuring the colour of the potion contents. Enchantment glint on items and armour is now more subtle. Armour stands now preserve custom names when placed and broken. Vexes now use a separate charging animation when empty-handed. Updated horse breeding, the speed, jump height, and health of a baby is now a variation of the average of the parent's attributes rather than being biased towards the average possible value. This change makes horse breeding a viable way of getting great horses if a player starts with good parents and puts in enough time and golden carrots. Jukeboxes have changed to be at parity with Bedrock Edition. A jukebox now emits a note particle above it while playing a music disc, and while playing a disc it will emit a redstone signal of 15, but this does not override comparators detecting which music disc is playing. Droppers and hoppers can now also interact with jukeboxes. In creative menu changes, they've added painting variants to the creative menu, and paintings with a predefined variant will now display the author and title in the item description when hovered over. There are tweaks to recipe unlocking to make discovering vital crafting recipes easier for new players. The crafting table recipe is unlocked immediately on creating a new world. The crossbow recipe is no longer unlocked by sticks. The soul campfire recipe, likewise, is no longer unlocked by sticks. They've updated the Create New World screen. The screen is now organized into three tabs. The Game tab allows you to set the world name, game mode, difficulty, and whether to allow cheats. The World tab allows you to set the world type and seed to toggle generation of structures and the bonus chest. And the More tab provides access to the game rules and data pack selection screen. Tabs can be switched with the keyboard by pressing Control tab and Control shift tab. Specific tabs can also be navigated to by pressing control tab number for example control 2 navigates to the second tab so it's a lot more accessible for people who rely on just using a keyboard they've added a screen to easily enable and disable experimental features the screen can always be found under the more tab and in snapshots a shortcut button can be found under the game tab there are new accessibility options and improvements beyond those accessibility onboarding screens now appear for players launching the game for the first time Auto jump is now off by default, where previously it was on. They've added arrow key navigation and a high contrast resource pack, which only affects menu UIs for now, but Mojang are aiming to bring this to gameplay UIs in the future as well. The resource pack screen is now keyboard navigable. They've changed how tooltips in the menu UI are positioned, so buttons are still readable. Added a tooltip in the keybind screen that specifies which keybinds will conflict. Added a damage tilt accessibility option that controls the amount the camera shakes when hurt. They've added two new options in the accessibility menu for adjusting the speed and transparency of enchantment glints, and a notification time accessibility option that changes how long notifications like unlocked recipe toasts, advancements, subtitles, and selected item names are visible for. They've updated the realm screen to be more in line with the single player and multiplayer screens, added a notification for realms to tell you about important information about your realm, and added the credits and attribution button in the options menu. There are a lot of technical changes and bug fixes which we won't go into right here because there are absolutely tons of them. They're all available on the Minecraft.net changelog which also links to the bug tracker page for the 150 plus bug fixes in this update. But a few highlights are adding a group of entities to display items, blocks and text, added entities to detect interactions and attacks, added data-driven damage types, the ride command was added for allowing things to mount and dismount entities, the clone command now supports cloning to and from different dimensions. The enchantment glint now has two separate texture files, which 
control different enchantment glints for entities and items, and fire burns out faster in certain biomes, which is now controlled by the increased fire burnout biome tech. Once again, for the full list of changes, and there are a lot of them, head over to the changelog at minecraft.net. That's also linked in our show notes. Minecraft Bedrock Preview 1.19.80.20 should have been featured on last week's news, but it was released on March 8th. In this preview are cherry groves, cherry wood and associated blocks, updates to the decorated pot, brush recipe, and other archaeological features, a graphical update to the You Died screen, accessibility improvements, including enchantment, glint, speed, and strength sliders. The biggest news, however, is the Bedrock Editor, a tool designed with creative builders and map makers in mind. To quote the Minecraft.net article, the editor is in early development and available for keyboard and mouse on Windows PC Bedrock Preview builds. It is making it possible for creators of all skill sets to easily craft high-quality experiences in Bedrock. We are working to add more capabilities, and it will change significantly as we get feedback from creators like you. The blog post has technical details, but in the meantime, players are encouraged to learn how to use the editor, links to learn.microsoft.com, and join the discussion forum, post bugs, view more detailed release notes, and share your creations on GitHub. Tag the Bedrock team on social channels with hashtag Bedrock Editor. For the full details of this release for the Bedrock edition, we encourage you to check out the Minecraft.net article linked in our show notes. Hot on the heels, Minecraft Bedrock Edition 1.19.70 was released on Tuesday, March 14th. This update brings the same changes to horse breeding, which were just added to the Java edition, makes improvements to the Bedrock exclusive emote system, and also includes various vanilla party fixes, crashes fixes, bug fixes, and optimizations. Again, linked to the Minecraft.net article in our show notes. So uh, let's talk about 119.4 first. Um, it's actually a pretty significant update. <laughs> um, it, just reading that changelog, I was like, wow, okay, there's there's a lot more to this than we've really given it credit for because all of these features have rolled out over the last few weeks in snapshots, and we've also been looking ahead to 1.20. But there's so much stuff in here along the lines of the other major like dot release that I think about is... Um, I think 111.1 or 0.2, which is the one that added firework boosting for Elytra. In terms of quality of life stuff, the horse breeding changes, the jukebox interactions, this was a good one. Like, I am I think it was better than waiting for all of that stuff in 1.20 so that we could have it all in 1.19.4, especially maybe for the modded community who might stay around on this version instead of updating to 1.20 right away. I think it's really nice to have horses that are viable and be able to do some some fun stuff with jukeboxes and armor stands and everything. What I like so much about the minor update, now that we've seen it fully realized and released, is that it focuses on improving what's already in the game. Not just bug fixes, but like they're willing to change game mechanics like horse breeding, like the jukebox, like, you know, um, the other things that you just listed, Ex and, and, and accessibility settings, something that we're always happy to talk about on the show. All of those things, you know, the, the UI, the high contrast stuff, that are, there are things that, are needed, but they're not necessarily something that you need to sell in like a big major release. They're not the shiny new features like the new cherry groves and cherry wood and that kind of thing. And I love that we can get them more often. You know, like I think that we're looking at potentially if this thing, you know, continues to march on the way, maybe not all as big as 1.19.4, but you know, you're going to have hopefully 
major releases as we've been getting major releases the last few years, about twice a year, around June, around Christmas. But then in between, we could be getting another couple of updates, you know, depending on how, how things go, what's needed, how the new things that are added affect the game, whether after the release of a new, uh, a new major update, like, um, 1.20, the team then has like a, a breath. We're like, Oh, okay. Well, that was a lot of work to get that out. But like, now we've got the time to actually focus on things like the, um, the, uh, the potion, uh, sprite shapes that, that, um, King B Dos was talking about a couple of weeks ago. Like, yeah, that's on their radar, but it's not something that they're focusing on right now because they've got to focus on the stuff that's coming for 1.20. I love that they have this kind of stuff on the radar, like the horse breeding, like the jukebox. It's it's great to see improvements to the game that's 12 years old and not have it only be we are adding new stuff. And I hope people are excited about we've fixed a bunch of stuff and we've improved a bunch of stuff as much as they are excited about getting new stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly hope so. Cause I'm excited about it. Um, unfortunately, unless I head back to survival guide really soon, I won't be able to take advantage of any of it yet because empires is staying on one nineteen dot one, uh, because of mod compatibility with our, our regular empires mod that it kind of helps us do a lot of the cosmetic stuff that we do on that server but um yeah I, I think it's it's great that all this stuff comes along and yeah using the potion sprites thing as an example or let's take an example that they haven't necessarily said is on their radar but could be an option for the future improving animations we've talked about that a little right, bit recently yeah. and if we're just talking about improving stuff that is uh you know already part of the game and isn't just a brand new feature if it feels like some of the older animations of the game need updating to fall in line with more detailed animations like the frog and the sniffer, then we could see updates to sheep and cows, walk cycles and everything like that popping up in, you know, a 1.20 whatever, or, you know, sometime in the future in these minor releases. And it, it seems like it's doing pretty well for the health of the game overall without making a bunch of stuff difficult to roll forward into they're not tying all of these features behind things like cherry groves that pop up and you have to travel absolutely ages to find one in a a well explored world if you're happy to stay in a world that's mainly focused on 119 content then yeah these changes are all there for you and i don't know that there's really going to be much of a need depending on how far you've gone and traveled i think a lot of people did either a world reset or they did a lot of heavy trimming on their long-term worlds with caves and cliffs because uh, i was just talking about this on stream this weekend that you know when we you know update to 1.20 whenever that happens uh the only thing that's going to hold us back is i think a bunch of us want to go get some netherite <laughs> before yeah. before it all changes and and update some of our gear um but once we've got 1.20, I don't feel like I need to go around and trim chunks. Like, I feel like we've not really gone on, on big adventures in the same way that we have in the past. And so um, that's going to be interesting. And the thing that's nice about the 1.19.4, I mean, there's good and bad about the frequent updates. Uh, as someone that has a lot of data packs and a lot of, um, well, quality of life mods, not a lot of, you know, gameplay mods per se. But those mods while they do update faster with fabric it's still not super quick and you don't know when it's going to break um so ultimately like when 1194 drops uh for us it'll be a while because i'm waiting for mods to catch up i'm waiting for data packs to catch up i'm waiting to see if those mods and data packs work don't work conflict with other packs like when you've got you know specialized stuff as you do on on um, empires it it does kind of make it difficult to update like day one 
and yeah. see and jump in on all the, all the cool i don't want to say cool new stuff but like on the cool changes and and the quality of life improvements and things it, it does make it a little bit tricky to to do that so um i'm i'm really curious to see how because of the way that they've been communicating all the different changes if the modding and data pack community can then keep up with the minor and major update kind of cycle yeah yeah it's going to be interesting to see but then at least the basics are typically there like you get folks like fabric and and whatnot mm, all mm -hmm. updating in the uh in the snapshots, snapshots. <laughs> yeah. so yeah hopefully it won't take too long for the the ones that folks really rely on for performance and all kinds of other stuff and then content can come along a little bit later um the other major thing and yeah i'm, I'm really glad that we were able to highlight this in this week's uh news after kind of glossing over it and missing it last week is the bedrock edition release that includes a bedrock editor um have you had a chance to look at uh, i know you're not really a bedrock player have you had a chance to look at videos that explain what's going on here or look at the uh the help article for it i went through a little bit of uh echo shoulder um just kind of seeing what they were up to uh, i skipped ahead a bit because like i didn't need the full tutorial i just want to kind of see it in action and it looks really cool and i think a massive improvement over the structure blocks which i did mess with when they first came out yeah. and found them very frustrating and you just it's just too much reading of coordinates and math and like trying to do all this kind of stuff when you know the computers can do it so much faster and it's basically like combining command blocks structure blocks with a visual gui that you can then manipulate through an interface that looks very similar to the stuff that i learned on years and years ago when i was in animation school when i was learning to do 3d modeling mm -hmm. and you have that triple access cursor that pulls your you know selections vertically and then forward and backwards in space on the x and the z axis and i mean i imagine the only thing that's going to be weird for me would be like you know moving towards you is going to be negative in z depending on which way you're facing yeah so that kind yeah. of stuff is a little bit tricky but watching uh echo soldier do what they were like what they were doing which is copying a house in a village it was very straightforward it's a great big bold square uh copy paste control c control v undo control z like there's a lot of key keyboard commands that i feel will help people get quicker using these kind of tools and creating really interesting stuff in bedrock i mean the first thing that i thought of was like if you're in a creative world and you're building a wall and it's got multiple towers you take the time to build one and then you can just copy and paste the whole thing mm -hmm. you know um i i can't remember whether it was related to world editor or whether it was related to this particular tool but i've also seen other um creative builders talk about like it makes you think about how you want to build your sections so that like you don't just build a wall and then copy and paste the whole wall you build a wall segment you know like a three by three or a five by three or something like that and then you copy and paste the segment as you need it and I'd imagine that the combination of like that knowledge with now this tool and bedrock for map makers and people that are trying to put content out on like the Minecraft marketplace where they make their living if it can speed that up my gosh like I mean that's going to be um again it's going to reduce the barrier we were just talking about how Java and data packs and mods have to wait for the version update well if you're using an external tool to do this kind of stuff for bedrock and that external tool either doesn't update or doesn't work or whatever you've got this internal tool that will hopefully kind of like update with Minecraft it's part of bedrock now I think mm -hmm. it's really really cool 
yeah, like I, I spent a bit of time playing around with it this morning, having not really seen much of other other folks' videos about it. I knew that the Bedrock community was excited about it and some other creators. I think Wattles had a video and a couple of other folks had videos. Um, yeah, I definitely recommend Echo Soldier's video just for a more comprehensive breakdown of it. Agreed, um, yeah. It's about 20 minutes long, um, so potentially a bit of a time investment, but really worth a watch if you want a, a holistic look at this thing. Um, I got familiar with the interface really easily. Uh, it has some notable differences from other editors I've used for Java Edition, but really the focus here is on adding visual UI elements that are more intuitive, um, because if you're looking at stuff like World Edit, it's all operating within vanilla Java, more or less, so you've just got to you know, bind whatever tool you have, like a wooden axe or something, for example, to be a brush. And then you basically got to use commands for everything. What this Bedrock Editor does is visualize stuff. And as somebody who's more of a visual learner and a visual processor, I find it much easier to get along with a, an interface like this. And it's the same with commands, like using the clone command in vanilla Minecraft allows you to clone a specific area of coordinates and kind of copy paste that in other places but you've got to be aware of which direction you're facing and what the north corner is so that you can you know <laughs> you can align stuff certain ways I've always found that process very frustrating and I never remember all of the rules that are required to make sure you copy paste stuff in the right place first time um, so having a more visual interface for that is great it has some notable differences from other editors I've used like this, not necessarily for Minecraft, but for, for other programs. Um, you're holding right-click to enable movement. So you hold right-click and then you WASD to fly around. So you're effectively like in spectator or creative mode, but to move at all, you have to hold right-click. And that feels weird when most other visual editors seem to use the middle mouse button to move around, like the scroll wheel button that you press down right. and you can move it. Uh, I recognize that not all mice have those, um, so that's potentially a concern. And also, the middle mouse button could be used for something like pick block, which I really think this editor needs. Um, like, if not a pick block function, then a visual interface to select materials, because right now you're searching for materials from a list. Uh, if you want to oh, do a fill command yeah. or if you want to add something to the brush. It, right now it just has selection and brush tools, really. Um, and you can either create a an empty selection and use that as the area to copy-paste, or you can click fill and you fill it with whatever material is currently selected. But you select it by typing out the name of it, and I find that kind of rough. For a start, I couldn't find regular andesite. If I typed andesite into there or just typed A-N-D, it would come up with stuff like sandstone. It would come up with polished andesite stairs and, and a couple of other blocks like that, but not raw andesite. So I'm not sure what I was searching, if I was searching for something wrong, if it just like didn't include it in the list or what the block ID for andesite was that I wasn't quite picking up on. I think it's originally it was categorized as a variant of stone, but then it should have been its own thing as of several updates ago. So I'm not sure what I did wrong there. Um, but aside from that, behavior is pretty intuitive and pretty consistent. And I spent my time like trying to figure out the selection tools. And eventually I built a cliff <laughs> because that's what I do now. And... I managed to put a cliff together with like a reasonable amount of texture and stuff, just kind of learning the brush tools and stuff, probably faster than it would have taken me to build it in survival with the right amount of tools and the right amount of materials. It's 
a fun process, and I feel like you would just keep getting faster the more and more you learned. This cliff isn't going to win me any awards, by the way, but it's uh, a neat example of something that I built exclusively using the tools that the editor provided. And yeah, I think it's it's pretty good. Um, and I've heard mostly through kind of secondhand account, just people talking about it on Twitter and other places, that the developers weren't interested in bringing something similar to Java Edition because the community already has so many similar tools. You think of stuff like MC Edit, World Edit, World Painter, Voxel Sniper, Lightmatica. You know, there are a whole bunch of community-made tools like this. But obviously, with this being a more official take on it, having the visual interface, having it be really part of bedrock minecraft in in that kind of way i think it's it's pretty good like it, it's it's a little basic for right now but you can imagine the ability is only going to expand from there like if, if it allows you to make a selection in a different shape than just a square for example if you're able to make spheres out of it or other more complex shapes out of it then you know the sky's the limit you could do a whole lot with this oh that would be very cool in the same way that you can generate spheres with it is it uh something hud mini hud is the mini mod hud, that yeah, i use yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. where it just kind of gives you like a a visual wireframe scaffolding of like the ring or the sphere or the box that you wanted to kind of make in the same way that light manica gives you like all the detailed then the mini hud just kind of gives you the wireframe if you, being able to create spheres or or um other you know shapes in in um in bedrock like that would be very very handy i'm sure for anybody doing any kind of creative stuff for for maps especially if it's like adventure maps or mini game maps where you have to have like arenas or just different areas things like that would be very very cool i just i'm going through the list of other like java tools that are similar i'm familiar with light manica familiar with world painter what's voxel sniper uh i think that was more of like a paintbrush tool that used to be a lot okay. more popular from like back in the day and i remember hearing it as far back as like before I even got into playing survival Minecraft when I was just poking around the community. So that's definitely been around since like pre-2014. Um, oh, okay. And I, I think that was, yeah, more like a world painter kind of thing that allows you to create um, like airbrushed environments, basically. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So so there's, there's a, a whole bunch of stuff out there. But again, that's been out there for a long, long time. Um, and the fact that this stuff is just now coming to Bedrock is is very exciting for Bedrock players. What do you say we move on to some chunk mail? Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. Um, if you'd like to email the show and get your email read, we'd love to have them for chunk mail dispensers like today's episode. So uh, keep them short and sweet. Send them to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com and there's a chance of them getting read on the show. Uh, Joel, why don't you take this first one? First email comes in from trying Mr. James. Music discs and scaffolding in built. Dear Johnny and Joel, Following your previous discussion about music discs on the podcast, I thought that perhaps using a dropper on a jukebox could add a music disc when the jukebox is empty and a dispenser could kick any music disc out of the jukebox and replace it. I think this would align with existing mechanics in the game. Also, I've been building a cathedral in creative screenshots attached, and I have been exper experimenting with adding a permanent scaffold structure to the interior to prevent having a hollow box. Would you consider adding a scaffolding structure as a permanent feature of your builds? Maybe not the scaffolding block, but something of your own design within Minecraft. Would love to hear your thoughts. Trying Mr. James died, trying to make their email shorter. <laughs> well, uh, appreciate the, the effort, at least. <laughs> I will throw the screenshots in our live show chat for our live audience. They will also be in our show notes on the website 
this week. It's a very cool looking cathedral. Really big, is, yeah. Really large. And I love the idea of what looks like uh, they've used iron bars inside as uh, kind of like tension supports. And then they've also got uh, fence gates and fences running up and down the walls inside as their interior scaffolding build. And I don't think it's far-fetched at all. Uh, I have seen stuff like this in some of the older churches that I've been in in the area. Very often they'll have a cable or steel wire running across um, the, the church. And I don't know whether it was part of the original architectural design or whether it's something that was added later as maybe the church was settling or sinking or not holding up to, you know, the roof was causing the things to buckle. And then they added a, a steel cable later to help with supports. But uh, I've definitely seen all kinds of things like this inside of, of churches, especially churches because generally they're just meant to be one big open space. They're not meant to have a lot of different floors a lot of the times, not like an apartment building that's all sectioned and supported and has a lot of cross support inside uh, and load bearing things inside. Uh, churches often have like arches and um, buttresses and things that help hold the roof up. And a lot of times you'll see scaffolding like this inside. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Like it makes perfect sense to me. I think, um, you know, scaffolding works really well for larger builds, uh, regardless of what you're using as scaffolding. Like I think having a scaffolding block in game definitely helps for me because even if it doesn't look perfect for the build, I still recognize it as scaffolding. Um, see see also last week's discussion about suspending disbelief and whether or not a block is a block if you know what it is. Um, I, I think I've had trouble getting scaffolding to look decent on a smaller scale if it's not Minecraft's native scaffolding block. Like if I try and make like a, a lattice or a trellis kind of shape in some sort of like big mining project or something if you're doing that with slabs or stairs or whatever sometimes i just can't not see it as well that's just like a bunch of wood that i've strung together in the right sort of shape it doesn't look convincing enough to me but i think in the right build often you can end up with something that looks really good and i do think having the steel beams in there with iron bars looks pretty good like it looks like the kind of stuff that fits the surroundings of that cathedral structure so i think you've you've made a pretty good design decision there i know with builds inside of west hill on top of having like functional staircases and things that look like you know it's something that you can travel up and feel pretty safe on i'm also trying to do things like hold up the roof or make sure that the floors look like they're supported and the staircases are attached to things and it gets chunky with minecraft because you're i'm not necessarily doing any kind of like scaffolding but i'm, I'm building sort of like a a, a log and arch kind of support beam system you know inside the buildings and mm -hmm. i think that that goes a long way to sell the inside of your structure provided you've made it big enough it's difficult in smaller builds to have that look good you're often using like trap doors or stairs or things like that to kind of look like it's supporting the roof but something that i was thinking about for the modern city which would be a really cool addition would be construction like if you are are building a city or, or building something that's a little bit more modern, I mean, travel around your city. There's construction everywhere all the mm -hmm. time and it's not attractive. So conventionally, people don't usually build it in their fantasy games because like, well, why would you want an ugly construction site in the middle of your cool looking city? But it's realistic. And if you had it a, a way in Minecraft to convincingly make scaffolding, like I'm thinking about like using trap doors for the sca scaffolding boards. And I guess you could use maybe walls or iron bars. Like none of that is going to be really substantial enough, but I know the scaffolding around here in, Nor in North America, like it's basically a bunch of pipes that people 
fastened together with boards that have like hooks on them and then they just walk on them i mean like they usually have like a, a harness they clip to a support thing so if they fall they only fall a couple of feet sort of thing but like anytime you see somebody like washing windows or doing any kind of like facial work on a building where they've got to like resurface the bricks or something like that they don't go up on ladders they build a whole scaffolding thing and very often around here it'll be covered up in a tarp because it's windy mm -hmm. and cold in canada yeah, yeah. a lot of the times you know and they don't the workers don't want to be out in the elements or at least not as harsh as it could be so having something like that in your build on purpose outside of the building would be very cool as well it is kind of weird to think about it i guess intentionally making construction <laughs> the, the kind of construction mm. that you see out there considering that we're in a game where you're you're under construction constantly like you're constantly building something but it doesn't look anywhere near like what construction looks like in the real world <laughs> you know it's like you, you don't see a building site where people are throwing down a bunch of shelker boxes <laughs> it's it's not that kind of thing so like imagine like having like a perimeter wall up around it with like graffiti on it because it's been there for a year or two whilst they've been redeveloping a site in a major city like that that kind of stuff makes a lot more sense for realistic modern builds than every building being pristine and already being complete like cities are always under construction always under repair and yeah there's there's so much unless you're building like the the city of the future where everything is you know self-cleaning and and self-maintaining somehow it'd be a great way to fill in that space that you can't figure out what to build like just throw in a couple of like a, a sequence of mangrove stripped logs that are kind of reddish with like deep slate stairs supporting every corner and just make a, a lattice frame and it's going to look like a red i-beam you know building from like mm -hmm. like construction in, in like the 80s and the 90s and stuff like that and i feel like you could you could really have you know add some life i think the difficulty with construction sites is that you then also want to add like dump trucks and backhoes and things like that which are not as easy to do yeah. cranes i've seen a lot of in minecraft i've seen like modern city cranes on city skyline kind of like situations in minecraft but you don't really see a lot of vehicles because it gets difficult to do the angles right and get the scale to work the way that you want i feel like some people on hermitcraft though like maybe doc m or corralis have done some construction vehicles yeah corralis is definitely the one to look out for vehicles like he's done a yeah. lot of modern building and yeah his vehicle designs are awesome so definitely yeah. definitely recommend uh, the other element to this email is uh, kind of answered by our newsread, actually, the interactions between jukeboxes and other redstone components. So um, Try Mr. James suggested using a dropper on a music disc to insert a music disc. That already happens. That's a, a vanilla interaction. Has been in Bedrock for a while, but is in Java as of 119.4. The other suggestion was using a dispenser to kick music discs out of a jukebox and replace them. So I wanted to clarify a little bit of this since it's been sort of confusing. Um, a hopper below a jukebox is locked while it plays by that redstone signal output that uh, we talked about in the show notes earlier, um, but it does remove the disc from a jukebox once it is finished playing. I tested this before the show with the Pigstep music disc, and it has a bit of silence at the end of the record, but then like three seconds later, it gets pulled into the hopper and, you know, I, I set up a comparator just so I could check that it, you know, output a redstone signal to say that, yes, this has stopped playing, and it, it has. Um, so if you want to remove a disc after it's done playing, you can just put a hopper underneath it, feed that into a chest, and feed your entire music collection into a hopper at the top, and it will slowly go through all of the music discs in whatever sequence they're added to the hopper. If you want to remove a disc while it's playing 
you can use a hopper minecart for that. So instead of having the dispenser eject the music disc from the jukebox, if you want a redstone solution for removing a disc or just going skip, you know, um, you can send a hopper minecart underneath it and it will pull the uh, the disc out and then presumably the next disc will start playing if you've got a another feed in from the top. So that should be a reasonable solution, if, if not your ideal solution, then one that still adds the functionality that you were hoping for. I don't remember the date that they wrote the email. It might have been kind of like mid mid snapshot kind of rotation when sure, that stuff yeah. was first coming in. But yeah, I I because I was looking at this and I was thinking like, yeah, that's it seems like I mean I knew the droppers were working with them already, but the the dispenser to me didn't really fit the way that dispensers work in terms of how Minecraft yeah. like, the way that Minecraft like has them function. So I, I think that it would be better. Because like when I see a when I think about a music disc in a dispenser, I anticipate it to shoot it like a frisbee. <laughs> That's kind of <laughs> yeah, what totally. I want it to do. Like, like an arrow or like, um, yeah. you know, e ejecting water from the front of the dispenser. Mm -hmm. But it's the dispenser that's firing those. It's not interacting with other blocks to do that yeah. necessarily. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the way I feel it makes the most sense. Yeah, um, I don't use jukeboxes at all on, on the Citadel. If anything, I, I came across one recently and thought like, man, I should really make a custom texture for these because I have a custom texture for note blocks that changes the, them to look specifically like crates. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, like I should do that with jukeboxes. I just don't know what I would turn it into that would be useful because it's a full-size block. And the way that I approach that kind of stuff is like I would want the jukebox to be a similar color value than what it is in vanilla so that if you're looking at things in a without the texture pack it doesn't look completely out of place yeah but but yeah i don't i don't exactly know what i would what i would use it for let's move on to our next couple of emails i'm going to read these two back to back because they are sort of related and sort of something that we can answer in one go uh, so the first comes in from Dragonblade with the subject of young canadian inspiration Hello, Johnny and Joel. I'm 11 years old and I live in Canada. I just started listening to your podcast a couple of months ago and I'm loving it. I was going back and listening to some of your earlier episodes and started wondering how you get inspired and how you don't get burnt out making your really big long-term projects like Joel's medieval town West Hill and Pixaurus's ancient runes on empires. It amazes me how you can stay inspired for that amount of time. In my friend's realm, we reset every two or three months because we can't stay inspired and everyone gradually stops playing. If you can give us some tips, that would be great. Dragonblade died of boredom because none of his friends ever got online. Uh, we'll cover that in just a second, but the second email comes in from Sir Archer and the subject is Tales and Tales. Hi, Johnny and Joel. With the new Trails and Tales update coming, it's got me thinking about storytelling. I've never really been a builder, but inspiration struck while building a floating fort. I began wondering about the whys and hows of my fort. Although unnecessary, storytelling is a core part of Minecraft and one of the things that is more interesting to me. Have you ever struggled to come up with ideas or reasoning for builds? If not, how did ideas strike in the first place? Sir Acho was slain by a zombie after their plot armor broke. <laughs> I particularly like both of these email sign-offs. So yeah, very really good, clever. very good. Yeah, I'm really cool to hear that there's an 11-year-old listening to the podcast. Like that, I think, is just, you are the coolest one of your friends. You can tell them I said so, mm -hmm. uh, especially especially where you're, where you're from Canada. So like internet yeah. fist bump. Canadian. Yeah, bon bonus points for the Canadian Bonus connection. points for sure. Um, so to talk about burnout, um, it's not that I don't get burnt out. I do. I think that I've just managed a way to handle it better as I've been playing Minecraft more. And really the easiest way to do that, I think, is to have a number of ideas kind of either on the go 
uh, projects that are either something you're not looking to finish in one particular go so that you can take a break from it and go do something else. Things that come to mind for me over the last two years when I've been working on West Hill or two and a half years actually were the drowned copper farm, my moss farm when moss first got introduced to the game and Cosmic's flower farms were all redstone projects, very technical, lots of glass and very kind of like straight edges. They're, they're not meant to be any kind of theme. They're just meant to be functional Minecraft, cool looking builds. And they gave me like a couple of weeks each away from West Hill when I needed a break. And it was still contributing to the server. It was something new for me. Uh, it was a favor for a friend, you know, like when I did Cosmic's Flower Farm. And they were fun. You know, I really got into them because it was so different than what I was doing. It really gave me a visual break. So I think one of the ways to not get burnt out is like if you have a plan for a bunch of different builds, why not start a couple of them? and then bounce back and forth between them as you feel like you're stuck on one or you're fed up with one or you're just not in the mood. You know, like you can pay attention to how you're feeling when you're doing this kind of stuff. And as far as advice for like a realm being reset every couple of months, it's going to be difficult if you're playing with friends because you're going to have to all come to a consensus. You know, like if the person that owns the realm or is running the realm, the person that is the admin is the one that's resetting all the time, then you might have a hard thing, you know, argument ahead of you. Maybe put it to a vote. Um, but something you could try as a way to kind of um, avoid the resetting is Minecraft worlds are big. Like what if instead of resetting every three months, you gave yourself a time limit and like at the end of a month or two months or three months, you all just migrated somewhere on the, on the server. So like nothing's getting reset. You all still have all your stuff or you could decide not to bring your stuff. But if you get bored with the way things are looking and if people say, well, I don't want to reset because I don't want to start the game over again, I like the end game that we're in now, then just move like a hundred thousand blocks, you know, every three months. And so that you're going to rotate. And maybe after, you know, your fourth rotation, you come back to where you started and then you could have a bunch of fresh ideas and it could, it could be a really interesting way to play, but that's just one idea. There's a bunch of different things that you could do to kind of keep things fresh. I think, I mean, Johnny, what do you think about keeping things fresh on a, on a server and, and avoiding burnout? Yeah, I think it's, a good idea to sit down with everybody and have like almost like a server meeting which sounds like a really boring way of doing it but i think it's a good idea to outline a set of goals for yourself like if you want to be doing like bigger long-term projects is it something that everybody else is interested in does everybody want to come together and build a giant castle or do you want to build a bunch of different castles and set up like your own little areas set up bases and that kind of thing because that way you can make sure everybody's getting what they want and, you know, meeting up with your friends regularly and saying, is everyone still getting what they want? How can we make it better? Just talking to them about it and communicating between servers is always the, the best place to start. Um, from my own experience, the ancient capital hasn't been getting constant attention and I often lose focus on building when it feels like individual builds don't contribute anything new instead of taking my own advice and relying on repetition to make the place feel convincing. Like, if you want to build up a town, you're going to be building a lot of individual houses, and it feels like one by one they don't really make up anything, and so it can be easy to get discouraged. But then if you've built 10 houses, that's already, like, accommodation for probably 30 people or something, and yeah, it starts to feel like your town has more of a population. So it's about having patience and getting through it. And the problem with that is that patience often comes with age. Joel and I have long-term projects and experience and stuff like that because we are both grown adults who can spend a lot of time playing Minecraft. 
And that can be frustrating to hear as a young person, both because you can't age faster and because, you know, schoolwork and other things are probably limiting the amount of time you have to play Minecraft. When you're that age, you're going to be in a constant state of change, too. You want new stimulus. You get bored of stuff easily. It's fairly natural, but I can imagine that's one of the things that's happening with your friend's realm, is that they just want new experiences constantly. That's going to be a good thing in the short term for things like updates. Minecraft 1.20 being just around the corner means that when you reset your friend's realm the next time, you might have all of the new stuff to look at. Cherry trees and sniffers and everything else. And I believe realms... I'm not sure how much control you have over it, but it might have to be tied to the most recent version of Minecraft. So you're probably going to have to, like, reset for 1.20 and then hop in and, and, and play in that world. Um, but I think it's potentially going to be worth that. But then once 1.20 comes out, let's sit down with my friends and say, what do I want to achieve? Like, what is everybody interested in doing with this world? And if they just want to play around, fight some mobs, kill the dragon, that kind of stuff, then it seems likely that those friends aren't going to want to take the world into, like, six months to a year and longer in terms of the the big projects. The other option, of course, is that if your friend is able to give you a copy of the world download, you could always continue those projects on your own. If you feel like starting a single-player version of a world that your friends have been playing together or kind of collecting those world downloads almost like a historian for your friend's realm, then it could be kind of neat to revisit that stuff when you've got a bit more time and a bit more patience on your hand. Uh, I will echo Joel's sentiment of broadening your game being another option. Building isn't the only way to play, uh, so getting into technical projects can generate resources which can help with builds, and then you also have a big technical build that you can design another build around, and you can make it look pretty after it's done all of the redstone that it needs to do. Uh, so there's a lot of options there, but uh, good luck to you. It sounds like you've got a at least a good group of friends to be playing with, so that's uh, something that's to be celebrated. Designing and playing your own minigame too. You know, you can do yeah. like Abba Caving, or you can design like an archery contest. You know, there's a bunch of like little things like that that would involve building a project, but then also participating in it. So people that aren't necessarily builders can still log on and do like a PVP arena or like whatever it is that you want to do, red versus blue, something like that, capture the flag. There's a bunch of different things that you could organize. And I think too, you've got an advantage where you're listening to the Spongebob's podcast where we cover a lot of news and upcoming changes. You've got to look ahead as what's coming. So like if you want to try to encourage the server to be more long-term focused, then you can say, hey, look, there's this really cool stuff coming. If we stick around and get our infrastructure done now then when the new stuff comes out we'll be ready to rock you know we will be mm -hmm. off to the races without having to start off with crafting tables and furnaces and just starting all over again every few months on the flip side sir Atch's email is almost the opposite problem kind of it's like i've built this stuff but i don't quite understand why i've built it or i'm i'm interested in exploring the why of everything and I think they acknowledged in the email it's entirely fine to play Minecraft for Minecraft's sake. Like, I, I personally have made tons of stuff that doesn't have a story other than I wanted to or I needed to build it. Um, and my spawn area and survival guide is pretty much always like this. Like, it's, it's aesthetics and utility over any kind of coherent storytelling. And I only worry about storytelling on servers like Empires because that's part of the whole experience. Most of our builds are either establishing the identity of our empire or contributing to an overall story. Um, I guess I have a couple of heavily thematic areas of survival guide where the storytelling exists more to prompt more build ideas than it does to really tell a story that, you know, takes the, the form of these videos. Um, but yeah, like, I, I think it's, it's worth 
considering where that stuff is coming from. And it sounds like you've started in a good place. You've started with, you know, I'm building a floating fort, but I started to figure out, like, why is it floating and how? And, like, starting to dig into the imaginative side of things, I think, is uh, is really worth doing. I don't really have a lot of stories in Minecraft. I have more of an imaginative history of the world. Uh, I'm very logical in terms of the way that I approach a lot of stuff. And uh, while I am creative and I've done writing and creative writing before, I just, for whatever reason, I don't feel like that's what I want to spend my time doing in Minecraft. I want to build stuff that looks cool. And I kind of worry about the lore later and in much the same way that you're approaching it. But I definitely feel like having that chronological sequence of events, like what came first, the land, the river, the forest. Okay, well, why did people build their houses here? What was the attraction? You know, in West Hill, it was because the rivers were all so close together. And I thought, well, that makes sense. I think farmers and people that want to live in this area are definitely going to want to live near a bunch of fresh water and have access to it. And then uh, the keep and the main area in West Hill is on the highest point geographically or, or ge um, geologically. It was like the highest point in the sunflower plain is where I decided to put the keep and it wasn't an accident you know like that kind of stuff I think you can use the land to kind of inform where you're going to go but then I started thinking about okay well how is the town going to form like where's the first road going to be and where's the second road going to be and if they cross like is that the town center or like how does it all work like what's the center what's the focus is there trade in the town so it wasn't necessarily lore and story so much as it was logical function and history and like what did this town look like before it was a town then it was a village then it was a big village then it was like a little town then it was a walled town like you kind of have to expand and kind of think about well how long has it been here and i was watching um, good times with scar this weekend and one of the coolest things that he said was like you got to remember that no matter what you build the land was here first mm -hmm. so if you're even if you're doing custom landscapes and your and your building looks old your land should look older and looks yeah. like it's been around longer. And it's a really, really solid idea. And it immediately gives you a ton of work to do in terms of like, if you're looking for something to do in Minecraft, making things look like they have been around for a while. I just spent the whole weekend walking around West Hill, putting little tufts of grass and bushes and trying to like make it look like the bush overlaps the road a little bit to like indicate that not only was the land here first, then the road was built, but then the shrubbery has overgrown the road and it does a huge amount to kind of communicate to you how long these builds have been here. Yeah. And it feels a lot less like plunked down, you know, on your on your surface of, of Minecraft in, in a way that a lot of times you'll see a builds and unless people have taken the time to add a lot of shrubbery around them, they kind of just look like models on a table, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think that's such good advice. Like, when I'm looking at this cliff that I'm building now i really want it to feel like it's been there for a long long time and the the castle is supposed to be really old so yeah like it, it it does make a lot of sense to to craft the landscape around stuff with that in mind and and making things look old and overgrown is one of the easiest things to do if you just got like a handful of leaves but you can also put a lot of attention to detail into that stuff and think about how these plants would grow and all that kind of stuff right um minecraft being a fantasy world I think drawing ideas from fantasy literature is a huge help with generating ideas. Um, unless you're making commercial content with your builds, do not be afraid to steal ideas wholesale from those stories. 
if it gives you the inspiration to build something. You look at the floating fort example, that immediately calls to mind the Studio Ghibli movie Castle in the Sky, uh, where this massive floating fortress has been there for ages, and that has an entire story behind it that is linked to the protagonist and everything. But I, I think there's a lot of cool ideas in media out there that, yeah, if it's never going to see the light of day, if it's just you playing Minecraft for your own entertainment, rip all of that off because it's it's going to be a, a fun thing to, to try out and a good way to expand your world using other people's ideas as a springboard to your own ideas. Um, as for my own inspirations, a lot of those do come from other media, other games, for example. I mean, I've talked about Elden Ring ad nauseum now on this show, but Empires Season 1 started with a bit of Age of Empires as inspiration, and I wanted to build with copper because it was new, and I liked the verdigree look of stuff, and so I was looking through the Age of Empires like asset library, basically, for all of the different civilizations and where you could start, and there were buildings with those kind of copper domes, the copper verdigree domes and kind of turquoise colors that were in a desert civilization. And so I went, okay, sandstone goes pretty well with the different states of copper. I guess I'll build in a desert. And then I developed a lot of my own style from there, but that was the genesis of that idea. Empire Season 2 is, this world has a history, I'll build some of that, plus Elden Ring. And Elden Ring inspired the decision to build in a savannah which is a, a place i'd never really done a huge amount of building before so it kind of felt like a, a different step for me in terms of stuff i hadn't done in minecraft before and again you can use that as a springboard to do all kinds of other bits and pieces so as far as coming up with ideas or reasoning for builds or how the ideas end up striking in the first place it's really just taking inspiration from anything and everything that you're consuming in other facets of your life whether it's music that you like i'm trying to listen to more music as i build lately because i feel like it's a an interesting creativity a creative experience to try and interpret music in a visual form um and so if like the the stuff i'm listening to makes me feel a certain way i try and build some of that um or i just need good background music and peaceful relaxing stuff while i'm building all of the natural stuff around me I think there's there's a whole variety of approaches that you can take. So, uh, yeah, like, ingest other media and express yourself in Minecraft form is my, my advice there. To go with something you mentioned earlier, Johnny, about um, the folks writing in being on, on the younger side, I mean, my ideas, I think, themselves comes from experience and exposure to all kinds of input. And I have the advantage of being, you know... Um, before getting into Minecraft and podcasting as a job, which makes it easy to log in a lot of hours, I was a professional artist for 20 years. And so visually, I have a huge library of stuff that's been inspiring me for years. And I can pull on that for Minecraft. It's a little bit trickier when you're younger because your time is going to be a little bit more, I guess, segmented, you know, like with, with school and whatnot. But there's a really good video out from an artist named Jake Parker if you can find that on YouTube, it's a pretty popular um, clip about inspiration, but essentially you can't squeeze water out of a dry sponge. And as freelance artists often find, you'll get into drawing for a living. It's what you want to do. And then you just want to draw, you draw, 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 you work, work, work. But then when it comes to working on your own stuff, you're like, why am I not happy with this? Like technically it looks fine, but it's not, I'm not inspired by it. 
That's because you've spent all of your time working, or in this case, all of your time playing Minecraft, and you've not been reading, hiking, traveling, going to museums, checking out your local library, hanging out with friends, watching movies, playing other video games, as Johnny mentioned. And all of that stuff can then just kind of inform your visual library and you'll end up with more ideas than you have time to do with in Minecraft. But you can't put the chicken before the egg. You know, like you, you need to kind of consume other media, consume other ideas. Fantasy is a great place to start. I agree with, with Johnny. Um, and I think that that will help kind of like nurture uh, and, and have like that exposure to new things will then give you ideas in, in Minecraft. And to to speak with, um, you know, Sir Archer about the the floating fortress, my mind went sci-fi. I started thinking about the helicarrier from uh, from adventures in terms of a floating fortress. And my first thought, my thir first question about the fortress was, how is it floating? Is it magic? Is it engines, propellers? Is it like Iron Man's? arc reactor like do you have to then build the cool jet streams coming out from underneath it to make it look like make it look like it's rocketing off the ground or is it just like repulsor lifts you know like what what does it look like and i think if you start thinking about hows and things like that and then start to look at either fantasy or sci-fi or maybe even science you know there's lots of really cool stuff you know happening in space you know exploration uh there's the jwst uh out in space taking all kinds of ridiculously cool images of outer space that could inspire all kinds of cool builds in the end or the nether or whatever. So get out and just kind of expose yourself to yourself to as much information and storytelling as you can. Great advice, I think. Um, we're almost out of time here, but I think we just got time to squeeze in the next email. Uh, why don't you read this one to uh, wrap us up? This is another short and sweet email from King Alby 93 Cherry Blossoms, Archaeology and Storytelling. Hey there, my new favorite podcast hosts. Again, brownie points. See what see what they did there? Brownie points. The world is turning pink with the evident emphasis on storytelling in the upcoming update. What do you guys think about Mojang adding cherries with the new cherry blossom biome and the ability to craft cherry pies as well as apple, sweetberry, and chorus fruit pies? My idea is that along with the clay pots, it would be a cool thing for Mojang to add clay plates to display food on, like pies. One track mine, I like it. Displaying soups and suspicious stews would also be interesting. This would help storytelling in multiplayer worlds and allow for creativity with decorating and bringing life to the homes we build. Let me know your thoughts and best regards. King Albi93 died dreaming of displayable food instead of eating actual food. <laughs> I would never have a problem with that. The moment that I think of displaying food, I'm hungry. So I just, yeah. I would never starving to death is not going to be the way that i go well it was pie day the other day so this seems like a, an appropriate time to send in this email um yeah uh, i think first of all just to rain on people's parade a tiny bit because i'm a pedant and i like to do this occasionally uh, the name is simplified in game but cherry blossom trees aren't typically cherry fruit trees they do produce fruit and they come from the same genus as i think like apricot trees and a bunch of other stone fruit but um, they, they sort of branch off because cherry blossom trees are really cultivated for the quality of their blooms, where, whereas edible fruit isn't necessarily the goal there, and edible cherry trees aren't cultivated for the blossoms. It's basically like two different places that the plant can send its energy. Do I produce really good flowers, or do I produce really good fruit? Um, there's an All About Gardening article that I will link in the show notes that I read before this, just to kind of clarify the differences and that was that was pretty informative in terms of 
how we look at cherry blossom versus cherry fruit trees um on the other hand i do like the idea of more decorative food in minecraft because that at least adds something to the game where adding more edible food adds to role play at best and unnecessary clutter at worst <laughs> i feel like most of the time if there's new foods added people think how does that balance up against the steak or chicken or golden carrots that I'm already eating? And if it's not better in some way, they go back to eating what they would normally eat. And they don't tend to focus on that from like a, a pure survival perspective, right? You, you won't have people carrying around entire stacks of glowberries to eat because those aren't necessarily great. And I think with cherries, you're unlikely to find a food source that's going to be more than just a snack in the same way that melon slices or cookies are, which is not really going to be helpful for gameplay. Um, I like the idea of them adding displayable food uh, because that means more decorative opportunities and potentially, to go back to our discussion from last week again, the opportunity to imagine them as something else, depending on how vague the interpretation of a cherry pie is it could look like something else and you could have people topping their cathedral builds with cherry pies and uh fruit pies <laughs> and that kind of thing i think chorus fruit pie seems like an interesting suggestion as well so that's uh yeah thinking in the right direction perhaps but i don't think that new foods are necessarily what we need without them doing something else in the first place that's where my brain went to. I immediately started to think about like, what else could you do with a cherry pie other than eat it? Because I feel like the food situation in Minecraft is already kind of where people need it to be. And adding any kind of variety in there for role playing is great, but ultimately people are not going to, I think, go down that road. But for me, it was like, what else could a cherry pie do? And I thought, you know, it might be a little bit strange, but like if you had a cherry pie have the same kind of function as like a turtle egg and have it be like zombie bait or maybe villager bait. If I'm holding a freshly baked cherry pie and those villagers follow me around like I'm holding a piece <laughs> of wheat in front of a cow, I am all for that rather than trying to wrangle, you know, these doofuses into whatever situation I want them to be in. Um, the last time I played with villagers was a very long time ago because I find it very frustrating. So that kind of stuff, if you can change it and have it be something interesting, like what if you made, you know, like a, a pie that you could throw? And what if it's slowed down mobs? Like, again, I don't know if that's a big need, but it would be at least interesting. Uh, we can put arrows in dispensers. I would love to have a pie in a dispenser. I think that would be very funny. To <laughs> the, be able to the, the slapstick potential at, le at yeah. least is, is very you know, good, yeah. Pie catapult. Like, I don't know. I'm just kind of like reaching for, you know, grasping at straws here. But like, I, I, I agree with you that it needs to have something else. Now, that said, as someone that is just completing a medieval town where there is the inside of many, many, many houses... They all seem to have the same flower pot that they drink out of, uh, like that kind of thing. I would love for them to have clay plates, clay cups, any kind of like sub block thing that just makes sense. Like we have all these things in Minecraft, like pickaxes and bows and arrows and swords, but I guess we just eat with our hands. Like there's no, there's no other way to kind of like show this kind of stuff. We can make pies or cakes in the game. Uh, we can make pumpkin pie but it's just a pie like there's no pie plate it's just a raw pie so i'm not sure what we've made it in and i think that there could be some strengths there we can craft glass bottles but we can't make a drinking glass you know like there's things like that that i think would be really cool and i know that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago uh that having the enchantment uh, or in, uh, potions rather um be something that could be displayed by placing it down in the world, not as a sprite, but as like an actual 3D model, uh, provide some challenges if they have to create more than one different shape of them. But 
I'm okay with all of this if it was even very Minecrafty and square. Pi, make it square. That's fine. I just, you know, being able to put down a plate that's square is still better than me putting down an uh, uh, an item frame and putting something in it and pretending that it's a plate. You know, as because your bowl of soup is like lying flat. <laughs> you know, on, on the table, I think that could be really interesting. And I guess it just comes down to like, you know, how far a rabbit hole does that open up? You know, like if you make a clay bowl and you can like, does that mean that you then have to let the player put water in it? Like it just, it just opens up a whole kinds of, you know, the, the details and level of, of, of depth there is, is great. And I can understand why they might not want to tap into it, but I like the idea of at least having some basic sub block kind of things that, that would just make sense for where you are in Minecraft as like a sword swinging bow and arrow pickaxe wielding hero. Like, I feel like we need something and, and that could be, could be it, you know, in terms of like the, using the clay, you know, maybe using archeology span to unlock the recipe for learning how to make a clay bowl or a clay cup because you found one underneath the desert temple. And then you had then said, Oh, that's a good idea. I should make more of those, you know, that kind of thing. Sure, absolutely, yeah. Um, well, plenty of food for thoughts, no pun intended, uh, but we're, we're probably close to wrapping up this episode of The Spawn Chunks, so I think we'll nip it in the bud there. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live when it's recorded in Discord every week. We also have our monthly Minecraft audio hangout coming up this Saturday and a quarterly hangout coming in April. We have 331 patrons, which is holding steady from last week. There is always room for more. Special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks at Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email us at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked at thespawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where right now I'm focusing on Empire's SMP, but a few other things might pop up from time to time. I also stream on Twitch. If you want to see some of the inspiration behind my ancient capital on Empires, you can check out the Elden Ring streams. They are 18 plus rated for the violence that's in that game, but you'll also see me play Minecraft on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and other Sundays. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and instagram joel where can people find you online everything that i am doing online can be linked at joelduggan.com that includes my citadel cafe podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment and of course you can follow me at joel duggan on social media and joel duggan on twitch where i stream at least three days a week right now it's just about every day lego is usually scheduled on fridays and of course minecraft the rest of the time as i push to finish westill Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and this jukebox will stop playing in about 12 seconds.